but it is nonetheless possible to have a powerful experience of a work of art, even in a modest translation, let alone a brilliant one. That is, after all, how most of the literate world has encountered Genesis, or the Iliad, or Hamlet, and though it is certainly preferable to read these works in their original languages, it is misguided to insist that there is no real access to them otherwise. I can, in any case, testify that even in a prose translation, on the nature of things, struck a very deep chord within me. Its power depended to some extent on personal circumstances. Art always penetrates the particular fissures in one's psychic life. The core of Lucretius's poem is a profound therapeutic meditation on the fear of death, and that fear dominated my entire childhood. It was not fear of my own death that so troubled me. I had the ordinary healthy child's intimation of immortality. It was rather my mother's absolute certainty that she was destined for an early death. My mother was not afraid of the afterlife. Like most Jews, she had only a vague and hazy sense of what might lie beyond the grave, and she gave it very little thought. It was death itself, simply ceasing to be, that terrified her. For as far back as I can remember, she brooded obsessively on the imminence of her end, invoking it again and again, especially at moments of parting. My life was full of extended operatic scenes of farewell. When she went with my father from Boston to New York for the weekend, when I went off to summer camp even, when things were especially hard for her, when I simply left the house for school, she clung tightly to me speaking of her fragility and of the distinct possibility that I would never see her again. If we walked somewhere together, she would frequently come to a halt as if she were about to keel over. Sometimes she would show me a vein pulsing in her neck and taking my finger make me feel it for myself, the sign of her heart dangerously racing. She must have been only in her late thirties when my own memories of her fears begin and those fears evidently went back much further in time. They seemed to have taken root about a decade before my birth, when her younger sister, only sixteen years old, died of strep throat. This event, one all too familiar in the world before the introduction of penicillin, was still for my mother an open wound. She spoke of it constantly, weeping quietly, and making me read and reread the poignant letters that the teenaged girl had written through the course of her fatal illness. I understood early on that my mother's heart, the palpitations that brought her and everyone around her to a halt, was a life strategy. It was a symbolic means to identify with and mourn her dead sister. It was a way to express both anger, you see how upset you have made me, and love. You see how I am still doing everything for you, even though my heart is about to break? It was an acting out, a rehearsal of the extinction that she feared. It was above all a way to compel attention and demand love. But this understanding did not make its effect upon my childhood significantly less intense. I loved my mother and dreaded losing her. I had no resources to untangle psychological strategy and dangerous symptom, 
I don't imagine that she did either. And as a child, I had no means to gauge the weirdness of this constant harping on impending death and this frightening of every farewell with finality. Only now that I have raised a family of my own do I understand how dire the compulsion must have been that led a loving parent, and she was loving, to lay such a heavy emotional burden on her children. Every day brought a renewal of the dark certainty that her end was very near. As it turned out, my mother lived to a month shy of her ninetieth birthday. She was still only in her fifties when I encountered On the Nature of Things for the first time. By then my dread of her dying had become entwined with the painful perception that she had blighted much of her life and cast a shadow on my own in the service of her obsessive fear. Lucretius's words therefore rang out with a terrible clarity.